So friends, I started this series on Acts uh, 20 weeks ago now, uh, saying that one of our main interests was figuring out what does it mean to be the church in 2021? And if uh, anyone can tell us what it might mean to be the church, I think it would be those first followers of Jesus as they figured out how to be his witnesses in their own culture and time. And now two weeks ago, I preached on uh, the greatest team of all time, all those people besides the Apostle Paul who made this mission effective and possible. But it also, it would be a travesty if I went through this whole series and we didn't have at least one sermon focused on that great apostle and his life. So today is the Apostle Paul sermon. This is all about the Apostle Paul and how and what we can learn from his life. Uh, so I invite you to turn uh, to Acts chapter 20. You can turn there in your Bibles or open it up on your phone. And we're now getting towards the twilight years of Paul's life. Last week, we were with Paul in Ephesus, where genuine revival was breaking out, as Pastor Felipe talked about. But since then, Paul has been traveling all over the place. He's trying to quickly get to Jerusalem by Pentecost. And on this journey, him and his companions, they arrive in Miletus, which is close to the city of Ephesus, where Paul had spent about three years. And so he sent for the elders of the church in Ephesus to come and meet him. One of my favorite uh, songs and moments in the musical Hamilton is the song when ha uh, George Washington and Hamilton sing One Last Time. It's as George Washington resigns from being president and he, he writes a farewell address to the nation. And Hamilton can hardly believe that George Washington is stepping down. I mean, they had been serving together for years. They had been in the war together. They had begun this new nation, and now Washington's saying goodbye? It's very emotional. Hamilton is stunned. And we ask ourselves, how do you say goodbye? We have a very similar thing happening in Acts chapter 20. Paul served in Ephesus longer than he did anywhere else. He had been there about three years. He had daily discussions in a lecture hall about the gospel and the word of God, and he and the church had suffered much opposition together. And they, of course, had many meals, lingering in the evening over the word, times of worship and prayer, and they built the first church in, the, in Ephesus. They did it together. And now Paul, he's saying goodbye. We'll never see each other again. And so Paul, he wants to reflect on their time together, and he wants to pass on a, a, a pattern of ministry to his fellow shepherds. Now, this is specifically a speech to uh, Paul's fellow pastors. Um, and we actually, there's a few pastors here who are listening. We have Pastor Thompson who's, who's here with us this morning. Gene Frost is ordained. Uh, we have Pastor Camilo from Chile. Uh, we have uh, Dan Dobler, who is a youth pastor. We have other people who are ordained. Uh, so if that's, if that's you, you might want to listen uh, especially. But this message is actually also for all of us. Oh, and Pastor Tom Peterson, I can't forget who I see over there. Don't want to forget you. But scholars suggest that Luke may see this as Paul's farewell to all of his mission churches. Because after this, the story changes dramatically. And in some ways, this indeed does function as Paul's goodbye to all of his churches, even though we'll have more to his story yet. In fact, this is the only speech in the book of Acts that is addressed to people who are already Christian. So far, all, all the speeches in the book of Acts, besides this one, are to non-Christians. This is the only one to Christians. And so we do get a glimpse in this speech of what it means for all of us 
to be followers of Jesus. So there's something for all of us to learn. So it begins in verse 17. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia. You want to know Paul's thesis of this message? You know how I lived. I mean, Paul could have said anything. He said, you know what I've taught you. You know what I have written about. No, no, no. You know how I lived. The key thing he wants them to know was the way that Paul lived his life, his lifestyle. And I think a danger that we have is we, we live in a very intellectual, very cere cerebral culture. And I think a temptation that the enemy will trick us into is to make our Christianity all about thinking, about, about believing and thinking the right things, a mental exercise, which of course is important. I'll talk about that even in this message. But for Jesus and Paul in the early church, they were primarily interested in how you live. In fact, even remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? Are you putting into practice the things that I have taught? Building your house on the rock, that's what it means. Are you living it out? That was the primary concern. And so Paul says, you know how I lived. You know my lifestyle. And then he says something amazing. The whole time, from the first day I came, the whole time I lived, I lived with you, I lived with the same, the same way. Paul's life had an incredible integrity and consistency that he could say this to them publicly. And so Paul's fee, uh, farewell speech is primarily focused on passing on this lifestyle. So what is this lifestyle? Paul wanted to pass on to his fellow pastors. How did he live among them? Well, first is this. He had a lifestyle of humble service. A lifestyle of humble service. In verse 19, he says, I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. If Paul saw himself as anything, he saw himself as a servant of the Lord. In fact, in many of his letters, that's how he opens his letters and identifies himself. Like in Romans 1.1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. You see, Paul's aim was to become just like his Savior. And perhaps we are most like Jesus when we serve other people. Our Lord who said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And so Paul was imitating Jesus, and he had learned this, this lifestyle of humble service from Jesus. And that's why Paul would continually refer to this in his ministry, and he wrote that amazing passage to the church in Philippi. In Philippians chapter 2, he told the church, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. What mindset? who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Paul says, this is the lifestyle I want all of you to put into practice, imitating our Lord, who even though he is the king of kings, who, he, who made everything that you see around you, who made this entire universe, he is the king and he was in glory, yet he came down. 
Do you see the level of his cond condescension to human beings like us, that he would serve us, and not just serve us, but die for us? And Paul said he served like this even in the midst of opposition of Jewish opponents, which also was just like Jesus, right? In the midst of all of the opposition, Jesus continued to serve, and so did Paul. You see, Paul was humiliated time and time again. He was berated and abused. He was persecuted. He was physically assaulted for his service. I mean, nothing could be more humiliating than that. See, being a well-known apostle did not give Paul some type of, you know, high status or, or all these extra benefits. Uh, in fact, he was considered trash in the world. And so Paul gives us an example of renouncing, seeking human approval, seeking the, the, the pleasure of others, seeking their, their uh, approval from fellow human beings. In fact, no, our lives are not about that. Our lives are for an audience of one, of humble service to our king. And so some of us, we're, you can be so stressed out because you're trying to please everybody around you. And Paul's just saying, have a humble service to everybody. And the only person you report to is me. Our lives are now about humble service to our Savior alone. So how can you put that into practice? How can you have a lifestyle of humble service? The second thing that Paul put into practice, he had a lifestyle of boldly sharing and teaching the Word of God. Of boldly sharing and teaching the Word of God. In verse 20, he continues the speech, You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but I have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. See, the Apostle Paul, he was a man who was passionate about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That appearance on the Damascus Road back in Acts chapter 9, that forever changed Paul's life. He never forgot the grace that God would show to the greatest persecutor of the church the one who had killed Christians in God's name now is becoming its greatest apostle. Paul knew that he didn't deserve that. And now his life was about testifying to that grace. And so he made this plain to everyone. He would say to everybody, this is the way. Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. So we need to turn to God in repentance. And so as Paul did this, as Paul declared the gospel, it says he did not hesitate to preach anything that would be helpful. Sometimes he would do that publicly, like we're doing now. Sometimes he would do that from house to house, over dinner in people's homes. Maybe some settings were better than others for certain teachings. But I want to ask, if, would we do the same thing? If we see our brothers and sisters uh, in need of sound biblical teaching, do we help them? If we see them in sin or in error or in need of further instruction, do we hesitate? If someone who is sick and needs medicine, would we fail to administer it? If someone who has fallen into a ditch, would we fail to help? You see, Paul was confident that he wanted to say to, it, to his friends whatever they needed for their building up in their faith. And he always did it in love. He always did it with grace. But he did not hesitate to say what they needed for their Christian growth. And that's why he says in verse 25, Now I know that none of you... None of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. 
Isn't that kind of a weird phrase? I'm innocent of the blood of all of you. What is that about? You know, the idea comes well from the prophet Ezekiel, who gives this idea of the watchman on the wall. The person who is so, supposed to be watching out for the approaching enemy, whose job was to warn the people of maybe a, an army that was coming against them. And so, uh, if the watchman uh, gave the message and told them the, the army is coming, you need to take cover, you need to, we need to defend ourselves, then the watchman did their job. They are innocent of anything that might happen, even if the people are defeated. But if the watchman fails to warn the people, if the watchman fails to give the message, then the blood of all the people uh, is on that watchman. They are responsible for not warning the people about what was coming. And so Paul says to you, I'm innocent. I've warned you. I've told you the way to be saved. I've told you that everybody must turn in repentance and put their faith in Jesus Christ. I am simply the messenger. And now it's up to you. I've declared everything I need to say. Charles Spurgeon pastor uh, in London in the 1800s, I think he had a similar intensity that the Apostle Paul had. And he said, if sinners perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. Let not one person go unwarned and unprayed for. Wow. The boldness of declaring the gospel to everybody. How can you be more bold and sharing the gospel with the friends and family in your life. Is there anybody that uh, you have not shared the gospel with yet? Because we are responsible for sharing that with the people that the Lord has put in our lives. So don't be a watchman who fails to warn your family and friends about the need to trust in Jesus Christ. The Lord has made you a watchman. The Lord has made you a messenger. Give the warning that they need in love that Jesus is the way of salvation. So Paul was like this. And then he also had a lifestyle that was focused on finishing the race. And now if there's any moment in this speech where Paul truly reveals his heart, I believe it's here. If you want to know the driving force of Paul's life, look at verse 24. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and to complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Sometimes I think about biblical passages and, and, I, and I try to think, well, could I say this myself? Could I put those words in my mouth and would it, would it fit? Maybe think about that for yourself. Because this is intensely radical and it's only possible because Paul experienced a radical grace. And he essentially says, as far as my own life is concerned, I don't really care. If I live, I live. If I die in this fight, if I die in this cause, then, then fine. I only have one goal now. I only have one focus now. It's finishing the race. It's completing the task. It's testifying to the good news of God's grace. Jesus had given Paul this commission to bring the gospel to the Gentiles, and that was the focus of his life now. And he, he was willing to do whatever it took to face suffering, to face persecution. If it meant life, fine. If it meant death, fine which is why he wrote to the Philippians, for to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. You know, Paul lived like a runner who was striving for the finish line. And all of us in some ways, we are on the gun lap. Do you all know what the gun lap is? You ever been to a track meet? Or finally the runners, they get to the final lap, and now they're off. 
And it's at that moment, if you have any energy left, if you have anything within you, now's the time to pour it all into this last lap so that you can get across that finish line. And friends, that is how all of our lives are. We know that Jesus has come. We know he's coming again. We know that our time is short. We are all on the gun lap. We all just have this one life to live. And Paul gives us this example. I'm focused on one thing, finishing the race, running this race with all the intensity and energy that the Lord gives me, because it's not going to be from myself, but I'm going to run this race as best I can for his glory. And so I just ask you, are you living like it's the gun lap? Are you living like it's the gun lap? Paul also had a lifestyle of passionately guiding the church, of passionately guiding the church. This was something Paul was extremely uh, passionate about, uh, focused on, about protecting, caring, and guiding the church. Um, And now this point might be one of those that's more geared towards uh, those in leadership or pastors, uh, but there's something for all of us here. And so he urges these Ephesian elders to live in the same way that he did. And so look what he says in verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought you with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So Paul was focused on protecting the church, and one of the ways he did that was through his regular preaching and teaching ministry, and also through all of the letters that he wrote, which we now have in our Bibles. And even in the, you think about the story the children's sermon just gave us, Paul was willing to teach all night so that they would be, have the teaching and the grounding in the gospel that they needed. And the church was willing to listen. Amazing. And so this is why Paul also sent Timothy to Ephesus. We learn in 1 Timothy. Paul says, I'm sending you to Ephesus to command certain people not to teach false doctrine anymore. And so being led into error, being led into lies and deceit, was deeply concerning to Paul because he knew the enemy of God, the father of lies, was on the prowl. That's why he said, this is amazing to me. For three years, I never stopped warning you, each of you, night and day, with tears. Friends, when you think about the Apostle Paul, when you read his letters, don't think of a cerebral academic. Don't think of a stoic Pharisee. Think of someone who is incredibly, intensely passionate and emotional. Paul wrote in Galatians 4, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. This was a man of intense passion. You know, recently I was talking with uh, several of the women on our care team Uh, who now all have adult children. And uh, they were kindly warning me that, you know, you will never, basically, you'll never stop worrying about your kids. You'll never stop worrying about them. And, you know, I'm a young, young father. And they said, you know, you're never going to stop worrying. They'll just always be there. And I think 
This is how the Apostle Paul felt about the church. He never stopped worrying in a good way. He never stopped his, his, his worry and care for his churches. In fact, he said that in 2 Corinthians, I have my daily anxiety about the church. This is something that is on my mind. You're on my mind all the time. And so he warned them, be on your guard against false teaching and false teachers. Paul says, I warned you with tears. Then he says something interesting. Look at verse 32. Now I commit you to God and the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance. Don't verse 31 and 32 seem almost like opposites? He's like, on the one hand, I've been warning you night and day for years, for three years. And now he says, you know what? I'm committing you to the word of his grace, which can build you up and you'll get an inheritance uh, in heaven. And so Paul is essentially saying, uh, you know, I'm, I'm so worried about you. I have so much concern for you. But also, I believe in the power of the gospel. I believe in the power of God's word, and I'm committing you to him, and God will lead you to eternal life. And Paul models for us this, this combination of great caution and also great confidence. Also, this, this great protection of his church, but also trust in the great providence of God knowing that it's his church. And so Paul models this concern for us. And Paul's role in his gift and the people he's preaching to, they were pastors. That was their job. That was their role. That was their gift. Now I just ask you, what is your role? What is your gift? Because God would have you too to use your gift to passionately guide and help the church with your one life. Paul also modeled for us a lifestyle of hard work and generosity. In verse 33, he says, I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. And everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, who said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now we know that much of the time that Paul was doing all of this preaching and teaching and leading the church, he was also incredibly working. He was working as a tent maker, providing for himself. Uh, and other times he was freed up from that work. We talked about that a few weeks ago. When he received a gift from the church in Philippi, he was able to stop working to focus on ministry. Uh, but all, though, when he would receive those gifts, it almost always, I think always, was from churches where he was not presently ministering. So he was like a supported missionary, receiving funds from others so he could go out and not burden the places where he was ministering. And Paul says, I worked like this to give you an example, to show you that by this hard work, we are to what? To help the weak. We ought to work hard and income, Paul says, so that we can help those who are weak. Isn't that kind of just opposite of what most of us are taught? You know, we, we hear people say things like, yeah, you know, well, I've, I've earned this money fair. I've got it by my own hard work. So therefore, I deserve these things. And I can spend it how I want because I earned it. No, <laughs> the word of God says, this income you earned, it's, first of all, it's a gift from God. It's all God's. And your labor, Paul says, it's meant to be a blessing unto others, the weak, 
those who are in need, those who are most vulnerable. And then Paul quotes Jesus and says, remember, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And so if God blesses you with extra, then your job is to use that to bless others. Not to increase our standard of living, but to increase our standard of giving is the biblical teaching over and over again. It's by hard work, Paul says, we are to help the weak. So friends, let's fill this world with generosity that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make logical sense. It only makes sense if we know there's a world besides this one. If we're headed to the kingdom of heaven, that's how it makes sense. We're getting close to the end. Paul also helped us by giving us a lifestyle of prayer. A lifestyle of prayer. Verse 36 says, When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. Well, this is just a moment following a speech. We, I am confident that this was a lifestyle that Paul had. We cannot forget that he was a man of constant prayer. Do you remember how almost in every letter he writes? I have been praying for you night and day. In all of my prayers, I remember you and do not forget, forget you. This was a man who must have had a regular and consistent lifestyle of prayer because there's no way he could have said with integrity that I am praying for all of you and remembering all of you unless he set aside the, set aside the time to do it. And he must have shared numerous times of prayer with these Ephesian elders. In fact, he wrote to the church in Ephesus. In Ephesians 6, he says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. For Paul, every meeting was a prayer meeting. That's one of our values at our church. We wanna be a church that prays, that believes in the power of prayer. And every gathering that we have with fellow believers, whether it's in the church building or in our homes or somewhere else, that's an occasion for prayer. And finally, the last, the last lifestyle Paul leaves us with is the lifestyle of loving friendship. Look at verse 37. It says, They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Friends, can you see what love they had between them? Wow, it is really windy up here. Do you guys see that? Oh, man. But see the love that these people had. Paul lived among them. In fact, this is what he said. This was his normal pattern of life. He wrote to the church in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians. He said, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we love you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Not just the gospel, which is so important, of course, not just the teaching, but our lives. Friends, who are you inviting into your life? This is just how Jesus lived. He invited the 12, it says, to be with him. And then he says, you're no longer my servants, but you're my friends. Are we living in such a way that we're building friends? Are we living in such a way that we build such strong ties with others that if we were to, to move to another place, that there would be, be weeping? As best as we can, this is the life that we ought to aim for. In fact, even the non-Christian Greek philosopher Aristotle, he said the point of living is friendship. Now we might say it's mainly friendship with God, but the point is taken. 
friendship is one of the highest priorities of human living. William Barclay says on this passage, through this entire scene runs the dominant feeling of affection as deep as the heart itself. That feeling should be in every church, for when love dies in any church, the work of Christ will inevitably wither. And so therefore, we must always strive to be a church that constantly works at building friends, at loving one another, at building love among us and between us. And it's hard work, but it's work that is worth it. And that's why you always hear me talking about spending time together, eating together, going on retreats together, being in each other's homes, because there is no substitute for time. In fact, uh, A.G. Fernando talks about the importance of lingering with people. And in his commentary on this passage, he says, much of their heart cry comes out through friendship. And his friendship is forged through lingering, as Paul did all night in Troas. And this was not an isolated exception. Paul's ability to linger with those he nurtured was the key to his ability to make friends. So friends, I ask you, do you have time in your life to linger with people? Do you make time in your life to linger with others? You know, some of you, I'm just so concerned for you that you're living such busy, busy lives that you're not making time to make friends. And I'm just worried that you'll get to the end of your life or you'll get to the end of your career and you'll just have regret that you didn't invest more. In fact, I've heard that from some of our senior saints who reflect back uh, on their time in our church and they say, you know what? I just wish I would have spent more time with people. I just wish I would have been more present to others. That's one of the biggest regrets I hear from some of our senior saints. And would you learn from their example? Build out some time, carve out some time. You might have to give up some activities. It could be, it honestly could be worth it. We need to make time in our lives for friends. So finally, Paul concludes his farewell address. He sings his one last time. Everybody is stunned. And we, let's recap, how did Paul live? He had a lifestyle of humble service, of boldly sharing and teaching the gospel, a life that was focused on finishing the race, a life that was passionate about guiding the church, a lifestyle of hard work and generosity, a lifestyle of prayer and of loving friendship. And friends, don't you want to ask, why did Paul live like that? Why did he have the energy to do this? And friend, it's because his life was a lifestyle that was shaped by grace. Grace is a dominant theme in his farewell sermon. Paul never forgot the grace of God to the worst of sinners. That's why he said, my only aim is to testify to people about his amazing grace. And so Paul's farewell speech is essentially him saying, grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. And when we too remember and experience God's undeserved grace to sinners like us, we will embrace a similar lifestyle of humble service. And that's how Paul wanted to be remembered. How do you want to be remembered? What kind of lifestyle would you like to pass on to your church, to your friends and family, to those around you? Perhaps you want to think about one thing Paul did. What is one thing that you could work on from Paul's life that you could implement? And friends, may you receive God's grace and embrace a lifestyle of service.